0: What's up, everyone? It's the love, the jam, the podcast. I'm Chapon Coming to you as always. It's Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing uh, pretty
1: well. You know, looking forward to another day off on Wednesday. It's it's what I crave. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's really about it.
0: Yeah, I returned to work today, and it was it was miserable. Like, I was very confused. I was off last week, and if you don't know, I, I'm very rarely ever off, but I was off Christmas week this this year, and it was glorious. I came back to L. A. Actually, went to the Clipper game and did media uh, against the Jazz, and actually, we'll have some uh, clips of that. I was pretty excited for. Um, but now I'm back. It's snowing in Iowa uh it snowed a lot today and it snows in parts of the country so uh it's still it still snows in iowa so that's perfectly <laughs> fine it's cold it it was cold the the pilot as soon as we landed in minneapolis was like he was like burr it's cold outside and i was like great that's, that's good, to, <laughs> good to hear i'm glad it's still cold but yeah uh the clippers on the other hand uh had a You know, not too busy week, only a couple of games, but they were both kind of telling. Um, The last game was 120-107, a loss to the Utah Jazz, who were just kind of on fire, and the Clippers couldn't hit their shots. And I think if you could sum up the game in a way, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, 120-107, you know, the Jazz's usual suspects. Did pretty well. Donovan Mitchell really imposed his will on the game. Rudy Gobert showed up in the second half in a big way. Joe Ingles continues to torment the Clippers. Bogdanovich, Clarkson was actually a very important piece, especially in that first half when nothing was was clicking, but when the Clippers were ahead. The Clippers just couldn't hit anything. Kawhi went 6-for-24. Paul George went 6-for-20. Um, And really, that's the gist of the game. Lou Williams went five for 14. The rest of the team wasn't particularly terrible from the field, including some strong efforts by Evita Zubat in 28 minutes and a nice first quarter from Patrick Beverly, who we'll talk about who had a wrist injury in that game. Uh, Landry Scheinman actually showed up pretty well, too, and had four or five from three. But really, those three guys, Leonard, George, and maybe to a lesser extent Lou, but still Lou, uh, just couldn't show up in that game. I have a lot of thoughts about this game. Rob, what did, what did you feel about this game against the Jazz?
1: I have, like, no thoughts about this game. <laughs> uh, I wrote 1,600 words about you did. How, how I have, like, no thoughts about this game. <laughs> That's a lot of um, words
0: for no thoughts. Uh, the
1: Jazz were good. The Clippers were off. That's basically my thoughts. Like, um, you know, I, the Jazz are a good defensive team. Uh, Royce O'Neal, Joe Inkles definitely gave Kawhi and PG some issues. Rody Gobert always bothers, you know, everybody around the basket. That's what he does. That's why he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA and one of the best defenders of the past decade, really. Um, he did his thing. Donovan Mitchell cooked offensively. Joe Ingles hit some threes and the Clippers really couldn't get anything going offensively. And that was kind of the game. I mean, I think some games are really just like that. Um, You know, I wrote this whole thing about how all games are kind of overanalyzed now and taken through this lens of importance and and hot takes and every game has to have some bigger meaning and some bigger story. And to me, this is just a very straightforward. The Jazz hit some pretty tough shots. The Clippers missed a bunch of open looks um, and they lost. And that was really it. I mean, I think there are probably a few other things to take away. Um, but generally speaking, I, I didn't have a lot on this one. Um, but you, you said you have a lot of thoughts, so I'm curious to hear You know what you were thinking about this game.
0: My thoughts were primarily just watching the game um, and seeing the Jazz cook and uh, and being frustrated. When the Jazz were just on point in that third quarter to myself, and actually I was with some Clippers Media uh, shout-out to Lockdown Clips, who I was sitting next to. Um, we were just kind of beside ourselves thinking – you know, it's just one of those nights. The Jazz were just on fire in the third quarter. The Clippers weren't playing particularly awful defensively, but the Jazz shot 17 for 35 um, and were just cooking, really, the whole the whole game. In fact, I actually asked Kawhi Leonard very nervously <laughs> for my first question for Kawhi Leonard with the media about the Jazz's hot shooting and if it was more the Jazz or more the Clippers. And here's a quick clip of that. Kawhi, uh, the Jazz were 17 for 35 right here, Kawhi. They were 17 for 35 from three today, particularly got hot in the third quarter. How much of that do you think was them catching fire versus some lapsed defensive performances?
1: Um, Yeah, uh, they got a lot of
0: shots in transition uh, in that third. Um, You know, but they played great. They swung the ball, trusted each other, and they made made their open shots tonight. um, Give them credit. They pushed throughout the whole game. You know, uh, they have, they have about 93, 95 points at the end of the third. If we want to be a good defensive team, we can't, we can't allow that. All right, yeah, that was Kawhi. Um <laughs> pretty pretty hyped to that's Kawhi a question in my life and to have redirected him to my face, which, which was great too. Um, but Kawhi, Kawhi was off. Paul George was off. I mean, Paul George continues to struggle a bit. George was not shy about the fact that he was sick and the Clippers were all sick. It sounds like the flu is going through the locker room. And Paul George, even when he took the podium was just not feeling well. Um, Montrez Harold missed this game because of an illness. And Paul George said, uh, said, I quote that he felt shitty and, um, you know, you hate to give excuses to the team. Kawhi Leonard did not use being sick uh, as an excuse, though Doc did say that had Trez played this game, Kawhi might have very well taken it off. Um, but they were sick out there. I mean, any any evidence of being sick out there, Rob, to you, aside from just being off all game? Uh, not really. I mean, I don't know how you would tell necessarily. I
1: mean, if you were, if it was the type of sick where it was like a stomach bug, maybe like trips to the bathroom to throw up or having a bucket on the bench or something. Um, You know, if it's just like a regular flu type of thing, I don't know if you'd really necessarily see symptoms outside of maybe just being a little slower and a little less effective. You know, the thing is, they don't have any reason to lie about the flu. The flu is a thing that happened. And, you know, for everybody saying no excuse, um, I once again ask the Twitter tough guys of the world what they usually do when they have the flu. Because I know when I have the flu, I feel like I'm dying and (laughs) I don't want to get out of bed, much less play 30 minutes running around the basketball court, um, bumping into and guarding players who are 240 pounds and jumping around. Uh, I I would die. Like I would actually (laughs) die. Um, and, (laughs) uh, even if it wasn't against NBA players, like I've played sick, um, when basketball before, um, and it's not fun. And I don't know, like, I think the people who are saying, you know, there are no excuses. I don't know. Like I think having half the team apparently battling the flu is a fairly valid excuse. I mean, I don't know. I, I, get the idea that, yeah, they were up double digits at one point. And it's like, well, they were effective then uh, but for one thing, I guess if they did have the flu, they'd probably tire a little bit more easily. Um, it would probably wear on them a little bit more um, in the second half. And like double-digit leads in today's NBA are also that's such a meaningless stat. Like the Clippers were not up thirty points in the third quarter. Um, you know they were up. What, it was like thirteen points in the second quarter or something. Yeah, yeah. That's a very reasonable deficit to blow in today's NBA. Um, I just, I just don't think people keep saying they keep blowing double digit leads. 13 points in the second quarter is not a lead where I'm like, wow, that's a really should have won this game. Mm -hmm. Um, even 13 points at half isn't a really that big and 13. I don't know. It's just very hard for me to get that upset about this game. Um, I, what do you think about the whole flu thing And, and the blown lead and, and all that
0: Doc said the same thing Media asked him uh, One of the first questions after the In the post game Was uh, this trend of blowing leads And Doc immediately said What, that lead was in the first quarter? And, he, and pretty much blew off that question. Um, because I agree, it's it doesn't matter if it's a first quarter, second quarter lead. Same thing against the Thunder, uh, a game we lost about a week ago. They were up like 18, I want to say in the sec- early second quarter. And that's like a, you know, it's a substantial lead, and it wasn't good that they lost that lead. But like by the, by the end of the half, the Thunder already had momentum, and to me, it's just like basketball is a game of runs. If you have it late third quarter, then that's disappointing, and that's more of a thing to be concerned about. Like they did against the Rockets, you know that was a, that was a frustrating loss. But I I don't care about that. Flu games are flu games. You can never tell. It's almost incredible to me in retrospect how obviously. Flu-ridden Michael Jordan was like during the flu game. <laughs> yeah, he
1: looked he looked really sick.
0: Yeah, he he looked sick and he was sick. But you never see that. Like players are sick all the time. Uh, sometimes they even get IVs. Like in in the nineties, like they get fluids because they're so sick and dehydrated. I think Jordan did. But yeah, he that's was crazy. he was wild. so he was so clearly sick in that game that it almost kind of blows my mind how clearly sick he was because clearly he was probably he, he was probably playing through a lot but you never see that now like you see players maybe a little bit ill but you never see them as just completely wiped as Jordan was that game there is of course a, a rumor that Jordan's flu game was. Was possibly also a hungover game, but we won't we won't delve into that topic for today. Um, flu games exist. People teams going through the flu is a very real thing. It's hurt teams before. I remember the Lakers went through a really bad stretch. I want to say a couple years ago, where their whole team had like the flu, and many of them missed games throughout like a week because of it. I, I remember it pretty vividly. And having the flu sucks. Even just like working in a hospital, having the flu, like I'm. I get exhausted and I just chug Dayquil until uh, until I can't do it anymore. Like literally, like I just wait for the hours to pass where I can medically take more Dayquil. So it's uh, it's really bad. And the flu is is different than even just like a cold. The flu is really miserable. Um, so I believe in in flu games. Like they're they're bad and it can be rough. It's a shame yeah. if it happens in the playoffs. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I, mean, I just. Uh... It's so weird. I mean, I think we've talked about this before the past few weeks, but, you know, normally we're team pessimism. um, And this year, like, I just, it's really tough for me to get up in arms about what most people are getting up in arms about. And I thought this game was kind of the prime example. There are people like, oh, this is a horrible loss. This is, you know, this and that. And it's like, (laughs) even before I heard about the flu, I didn't think it was that bad a loss. No, me neither. And once I did, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't seen much that has me that worried about this team. I mean, do I think they're locks to make the championship or win the championship? Absolutely not. But there are very few years that's ever the case for any team. And, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. Um, I don't have too much else about the Jazz game. The Jazz are pretty good. Donovan Mitchell looked great. I'm a noted Donovan Mitchell skeptic, which is hilarious because coming out of college, I was really high on him. I thought he'd be a top five player from the draft class. Um, I think he's gotten a little overhyped since then. Um, his ability to hit tough shots is crazy, but he doesn't get open very much, um, which means he's you know he goes on cold streaks when those difficult shots don't fall. Um, but yeah, I mean he was great. Joe Ingles was really good. Uh, Rudy Gobert was great in the second half, and the Clippers just kind of ran out of steam. Um, yeah, you had some other um, you know, press clippings and, and things from the game I think you wanted to talk about.
0: Oh, yeah. I asked Doc about the fluidity of the starters, and you know, we've been seeing Pat Patterson start in that Laker game and just what he thinks about who's going to start going forward and uh, if this is just going to be a matchup-based type thing. Doc, kind of piggybacking off what we were talking before with Jermichael Green and Pat Patterson, how fluid are these starting rotations going to be? Are they going to just be kind of matchup-based while we're getting used to the roster? We're hoping. like I don't know if we can handle that or not, but that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping we can um, we can have a lineup, a team that changes lineups and that game to game. I'd like to keep the same one most of the time, but when we do want to change, like the, the ledger game the other day, there was no... Nobody was – everybody was cool with it, you know? So we're hoping we have a team that is able to handle that. Some teams can't handle that. I don't know if ours can or not. I think we can, uh, but we'll see. All right, that was Doc. Um, Doc was uh, was in decent moods even after the game. Uh, everybody was asked a little bit about Donovan Mitchell and how good he was and how it's hard for the Clippers to stop him. Donovan Mitchell is a tough cover, and uh, we – I mean, you would imagine our long defenders would give him some issues, but Mitchell just kind of roasts us. Uh, one of those long defenders was Mo Harkless. I got to chat with him very briefly pregame just about his role in the team and his role defensively, especially with the Wings uh, alongside him, Kawhi and PG. Mo, so how are you feeling now that you got the full team kind of on board? Uh, anything different that you feel like your role is now that we have more players that are healthy and everybody's finally. Here and practicing. Um, no, I mean, she's trying the same thing. We all we all got focused on one goal and it's you know trying to win as many games as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we've kind of noticed is that your ability to switch when when Kawhi and Paul George are in there, especially defensively. Uh, and I think you've kind of talked before about your comfort, your comfort level guarded smaller players. Like, how do you feel as far as like your ability to switch with the guys that are on there and your ability on defense just kind of switch with? anybody who's on there are you more comfortable guarding perimeter players or bigger players or how's your comfort level on that end with the guys? Uh, I mean I'm pretty comfortable you know I
1: feel like I guard pretty much any every position almost Mm -hmm. you know besides some fives um yeah I'm pretty comfortable out there I think we got a good thing going
0: right now we just got to continue to build continue to grow every day and you know build that chemistry on the floor. Awesome all right thanks Mo. Thanks a lot. You know I was kind of surprised to have Mo (laughs) <laughs> uh, at that time, I wish I had better questions for him because Moe is genuinely one of my favorite Clippers. Um, he's just been such a great defender and such a great just utility guy. He always feels like he's in the right place. He didn't have a particularly great game against the Jazz. He didn't really play that much. Only played 17 minutes. Um, but he's still been a vital part of this team. I think that will do it for most of the Jazz stuff. It was nice to see Shamit get loose. It was four or five from three. I thought that was one of the more promising things. Zubat was also very impressive, 15 and 12. I think he was like 12 and eight in the first quarter. He was playing super well. Uh, Patrick Beverly, um, it's probably worth just talking about his injury now a little bit. So Pat Beverly in the, was it the third quarter? He took a hard drive, uh, went right-handed for a layup and just fell kind of awkwardly on his wrist slash elbow. Initially, he kind of clutched his elbow, came back, and had his wrist taped up and Woj just tweeted out that Pat's going to miss a few games with this wrist injury. I mean, I'm just grateful that it's a few games and not like an extended period. I was pretty nervous when he went straight to the locker room after that fall. Rob, what do you think about Pat's injury?
1: It's not good. It's a, it's bad. Um, I mean, I think him, Woj said he's going to miss a few games. A sprained wrist isn't too bad. Um, You know, when it first happened, I think there were some fears that he might have broken it or just done something else that's worse than a sprain. Uh, You know, if he misses a few games here and it doesn't really interrupt the rhythm of a season or the Clippers' chemistry or anything like that, I I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, it's not great. The Clippers will be much worse without him. I think, you know, they're two and seven in games he hasn't played over the past two seasons. Um, And if you count yesterday's game or whenever the Chaz game was where he missed part of the game with an injury and then was playing injured and then set out. If you count that as a game where he got injured, they're two and eight, Um, which says a lot. Uh, Even this year's team really misses Pat because of his rebounding, his energy, his communication on defense uh, and even his ability to, you know, handle the ball and pass. He's not a great playmaker or ball handler, but he's competent and he's one of the better ones on the Clippers roster and they miss that. So, you know, it's not good. Um, you know, if it's just a few games, you know, even if it's four or five, uh, they can survive that. And I don't think, as long as it doesn't have any long-term effect and doesn't keep him out for like months, uh, I think it's not that big a deal, but it's certainly not great. Um, especially for a guy who's always injury prone and is so energetic and plays with so much heart and hustle that he's always liable to get injuries. So, him getting even a, a kind of moderate injury is not great because it probably increases the likelihood he gets injured a little later on in the season. So it's not good. It's certainly not the worst news, but uh, it'll be tough to watch the Clippers without him.
0: Yeah, Yovan Buha of The Athletic tweeted out um, that the Clippers have only had a healthy roster once this whole season for that Laker game. It's crazy, and we're almost midway through the season at this point. I mean... It feels like, I don't know how long Pat will be, her, be out, but he it could. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how many games we've played now. Uh, we're probably like, what, 34 games or so into the season? And, you know, I wouldn't be exactly surprised. Thirty four. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he missed a half dozen games considering how conservative the Clippers could be. And that would be like half the season practically. That's really just incredible. Uh, how the Clippers have not, it's not only just injuries, it's injuries to like key rotation guys too, and stars. So um, I really hope the team gets healthy, but uh, you know, it's good the team's not peaking too early, but it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely been frustrating. Happy trails to Pat. As far as getting healthy, we would definitely need him on this team. It's not understated how important he's been. Um, just in general to this team and we're going to need him to be at our full potential. We can talk about the Laker game a little bit. We talked about this game a little bit on a Patreon pod uh, that maybe not everybody has listened to. So the Laker game was, was very entertaining for a variety of reasons. Um, Just a fun win. It wasn't even really a particularly great Clipper game. The Clippers won 111 to 106. They were trailing most of the game and they were down by Uh, I want to say 15 early in the third quarter. Um, The Lakers went on a nice flurry to end the second quarter and took a nice double digit lead, which ended the half with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, like piling around with, with Kevin James, which is adorable for them. I'm sure. But, um, Kind of not what you'd imagine the Clippers stars ever doing. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was truly dominant, thirty-five and twelve and five on um, an eleven of nineteen from the field, five of seven from three, including just a cold, like a few just cold-blooded threes, including one that gave the Clippers back the lead in the fourth quarter. Paul George continued his poor shooting, five of 18 from the field. Really, aside from that, I, I don't want to feel like anybody was particularly exceptional. Lou Williams was also very off, but Mo Harkless had a nice performance. Shamit played well. Patrick Beverly was eight, nine, and four, but his his uh, you know his his presence was much greater than that. He was plus 26 from the uh, for a plus for a, a game high plus minus and a team high plus minus. You know Zubat was good, everybody I felt like played decently, but Paul George continues to kind of shy um, a bit <laughs> in these big games and I think it's it's worth mentioning Paul George was asked extensively at that end of that Utah game when he was feeling unwell. You know what's wrong? Is he getting bad looks? Is is it is he just missing shots? And George did kind of go into pretty good detail that he's been kind of afraid of contact. He's been getting to the he's been getting to the rim, but not really absorbing contact like he's used to. And he was asked if that was kind of a component of his shoulders and just kind of getting used to being back in the game post surgery. And he said that you know I, he doesn't feel like he's taking contact like he did before. Like he's just kind of shying away from contact and from you know, just getting hit, which, you know, might talk about, you know, granted we know that he's a great shooter, but he's really shooting a lot of volume. And I don't think either of us have been particularly complaining about his high volume shooting, but the fact that he's been kind of afraid of going to the rim and he's admitted of doing so probably speaks a little bit of a shot selection and you can't be on fire from three all the time. Um, I think it's worth talking about Paul George's struggles a bit. You can talk about the jazz game a little bit too, if you want to, uh, right, right here, Rob. But what do you think about Paul George and his shooting in this Laker game?
1: Uh, I mean, it's been tough to watch. I
0: think, yeah, certainly,
1: um, it has been, um, you know, he was never going to sustain that level of shooting that he had to start the season, um, because it would have been among the best ever. And while I think Paul George is an extremely good shooter and an extremely good player. He's not quite that good a shooter or that good a player. I think that's all very reasonable. Um, So there was going to be regression at some point. I think it's hitting very hard and all at the same time, which is not great. Um, But I mean, he still looks healthy. And I don't think the process has really changed. Like I think he's going to the rim somewhat less, like you mentioned, um, and probably not drawing as many fouls because of it. But I think he's also just missing a bunch of open shots. I don't know that he's really, in terms of his ability to get open anyway, Um, has taken that much a hit. I mean, the Jazz certainly played him tight. I thought you know, the Lakers did a pretty good job on him too, but Paul George can hit those types of shots because he's so tall and has such a high release. I mean, that's why he's such a dangerous scorer. So I don't think there's anything exceptional about either of those teams defensively um, or going back to the Thunder game um, or the Spurs game. I, I don't think any of that is really completely out of the ordinary. So Um, I'm really not too worried. I think it's just a bit of a cold slump, You know, if he continues just shooting jump shots and not going to the rim, that would be a bit different. But, you know, a few-game sample size is is still not really too much for me to worry. Um, If anything, I think I'm probably a little more concerned about his defense. I think his defense is still not quite been up to par this year. Um, It's been pretty good, but I don't think it's been – incredible yet. Like, I don't think there's been a game that I can really remember where he's really taken over defensively as well as offensively, um, which is something you expect from Paul George. He's been, he definitely hasn't been bad. He's been good on that end, but I don't think he's quite been up to his usual standards. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I'm probably a little bit more worried about that end. Like maybe he's lost a step. Um, You know, maybe the shoulder injury is somehow impacting him more on defense than on offense. I don't know, um, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about him offensively. I think it's probably just a bit of regression. Regarding his shooting.
0: Yeah, I'm not too worried about him either. I think it was illuminating that he said that thing about contact because I, I really didn't think about it much. Um, when I've been watching him, you know, he's made some strong moves to the rim. He's not as ferocious on dunks like he used to be, which is fine. Um, but I really didn't feel like he was avoiding contact necessarily as much as I thought he was maybe playing to the Clippers' schemes of – having a bit of a green light to shoot threes. So that was kind of an illuminating thing for him to say, and it's going to be interesting to see him going forward. He still does all of his, all of his shoulder workouts pregame. He was doing them in the locker room right before tip-off against the Jazz. So it's definitely something that he probably still has in his head. So that was kind of an interesting take and probably something to, worth monitoring a bit to see how strong he goes in the paint going forward. Is anything more Pat Beverly than him being a plus 26, going 8-9-4, blocking LeBron James off of LeBron James, and screaming, this is my fucking city, to close this game?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty incredible. Um, that defensive play was awesome. It was such a Pat Beverly So, so risky, guy. That yeah, was risky. It was kind of dumb, probably. <laughs> yeah, <I>, kind of dumb. <laughs> but but uh, Pat has the chops to pull it off, and he did. It was an incredible defensive play. The Clippers deserve the ball. We talked about this on the Patreon. I just don't get the argument about consciously making the wrong call because it's something you don't call the other forty-six minutes. It just seems completely ass backwards to me. Like, like this weird spirit of the game thing. Um, I just I don't get it. Like it went off LeBron. It's Clippers' ball. I don't know. It just That's where NBA Twitter loses me sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous defensive play. And really, it was one of the most entertaining games of the season, just in terms of stakes. I thought both teams really got up for it. Um, there was a lot of energy. It was back and forth all game. I was really entertained by it. I mean, Pat Beverly was super intense. Um, you know, Kawhi and PG were certainly into it. It was it's just a lot of fun to watch, um, and it's something we've talked about before, which is that the Clippers this year haven't always been that fun, um, kind of surprisingly. But that game was was a lot of fun.
0: What's your take on Kawhi? And we we talked about this on the Patreon pod, but it worth it's uh, worth revisiting. How good was Kawhi this game?
1: Yeah, so uh, Kawhi I thought was pretty spectacular. Um, He played great defense, which is something that, weirdly, I don't think he's gotten enough credit for this year. Um, You know, people always just kind of assume that he's going to be great defensively. I thought last year, most of the regular season, he was just good. I think this year he's been quite good defensively. Um, He was great defensively on LeBron. Offensively, just got wherever he wanted on the court. Um, Mid-range from three, got to the free throw line a lot, which is always good, uh, especially down the stretch of games. And his rebounding was massive. Again, similar as for Pat Beverly. Uh, when the Clippers go small, they need rebounding from their other players. And Kawhi has consistently provided that this year. And that game, he was particularly big. Um, his ability to just go up and, and grab the ball with one hand is, is pretty remarkable. And he showcased that a couple times. So I thought it was a spectacular Kawhi Leonard game. Um, top three of the season again. And, I mean, the Clippers themselves haven't always been entertaining, but um, – Kawhi's had some really really fun performances this year.
0: Yeah, Kawhi's been great. This was a great game. Um, this was a really great Kawhi game, and I really love Kawhi Leonard. I love everything about Kawhi. I loved his post game against the Jazz. I just like his demeanor. Um, he's just a Clipper through and through for me. Like he just represents a lot of what the Clippers are about. This whole this whole um, you know streetlights over spotlight theme that the Clippers have. It really couldn't embody be embodied more than Kawhi Leonard. I guess Patrick Beverly is like the vocal vision of that, but the Kawhi Leonard is like the vision of that. It's really, it's really cool, and um, I love rooting for Kawhi Leonard. Um, and I hope I root for him for a very long time. This was a prime Kawhi game. This is, this is probably my favorite Kawhi game of the season. I know he's had some great games, including the first game against the Lakers, the game against the Spurs. Um, he's had some really fantastic performances. But I think this was my favorite one of the season, probably just because of the stakes and just for like how cold-blooded he was. He was awesome. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it for that game. I think we have a lot of Twitter questions, right?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, so let's dive into those. Let me see here. So first off, uh, from Anthony Doyle, um, good friend on Twitter, um, Raptors Republic writer, and there's been a discussion, just to set some context, uh, ESPN released their top five players of the decade, or their starting five, and had Anthony Davis at, in one of the positions as a starting center Kind of controversial because he's only won one playoff series over the decade. Um, didn't even start playing until 2012. Just seemed like a bit of an odd choice. Um, so, Anthony asks Did DeAndre Jordan impact the NBA more in the last decade than Anthony Davis?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, on the surface, and just a gut answer, I. I want to say no because it's DeAndre Jordan versus Anthony Davis. But I, I understand the context. Of, I haven't really looked at this much. But I understand the context of it concerning DeAndre's role in Lob City. And really, I mean, DeAndre had a pretty huge impact on basketball in the in the 2010s, Taka DJ. Just his role as a rolling bag, um, his relationship with Paul, uh, CP3 as, as the Clippers' best roller, his impact as – You know, the Clippers were a great team. They didn't win championships, but they were huge. And Anthony Davis, you know, as great as he was, you know, I I, I feel like this whole discussion really just undercuts how great Anthony Davis is. Like it kind of puts him in the category with like a Kevin Love type of like a, a Kevin Love on the Timberwolves type of idea where he's more so Kevin Garnett on the Timberwolves. Uh, unfortunately, Garnett didn't have success either until later in his career with, with the Timberwolves, and then he completely fell off a map because that team didn't know what to do with him. And DeAndre Jordan is ultimately still just a great utility player. This just captures you know, them in a snapshot over a 10-year period where Anthony Davis showed that, you know, he couldn't really succeed with the Pelicans, but ultimately Anthony Davis, and it'll show with the Lakers, is much more than he was utilized as a Pelican. So it's it's really hard for me to say DeAndre Jordan had more of an impact on the surface than Anthony Davis, but I, I understand the idea. I, I didn't see the, the graph. I'm, I'm sure the graph showed that DeAndre was ranked higher and people complained, yeah.
1: The graph that was by wins added – DJ was higher. Um,
0: I'm, I'm looking at it now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think people were complaining about the graph. People were complaining about Anthony Davis being rated so high. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because, I mean, I would put Draymond over him for the decade. I would put, um, in terms of impact, I think there are arguments for Chris Bosh, possibly arguments for Dwight, um, Marcus, Gasol. Um, you know, there are lots. And... Impact is such a weird thing because in the article I just wrote that I mentioned earlier, I talk about how I think in some ways the playoffs are overemphasized in the NBA. Um, You know, most regular seat, most regular season, most NBA basketball is regular season basketball. The playoffs are a pretty small chunk of the NBA, but like all playoffs has an outsized importance, but I mean, when you just look at Anthony Davis, he made the playoffs twice in New Orleans, I believe. And he won one series. Most of the decade, he was spent on bad or mediocre teams. And um, in terms of impact, like, I think the way somebody put it is, what can you write the history of the 2010s decade in the NBA without – which would it be harder to write without them. And I think it honestly might be harder to write a history of this decade without DeAndre Jordan than without uh, I, Anthony Davis.
0: I agree with that. I think, Lob that's,
1: City I think was, that's correct. Was one of the best teams of the decade. And DeAndre Jordan was the third best player on those teams. As you mentioned, in terms of the Hacka DJ stuff um, was influential in, in some NBA rule changes, which is right. pretty impactful. Um, You know, he, as well as Tyson Chandler, and who's obviously quite a bit older, um, you know, kind of pioneered that new type of big man. You know, these athletic springy guys who are rim protectors, screen setters, and, you know, lob catchers and don't really do much else, but are extremely valuable. There haven't necessarily been a ton of them, but there have been a lot of guys who kind of were modeled after that. I think you could point to Hassan Whiteside as somebody who was always kind of supposed to be like that and has not. There are other guys as well who were kind of supposed to be in that mold. Um, and I think DJ has probably impacted the decade more just because of the nature of where he's been and, you know, the teams he was on. Lob City was just a vastly more important team to the decade than Anthony Davis, any of his Pelicans teams were.
0: Um, what, do you, what do you think Tyson Chandler's impact in the decade ranks? Is he, is he a toe? 50 player, top 25, or, you I know, just think, mm, top 50? Absolutely top 50. I mean, it might right. be 25, I mean, because
1: he really pioneered right. the DJ mold. And right. he was the second best player on one of the best championship teams of the decade, which was the Mavs in 2011. Right. Um, I mean, he would be real, like, he would, I, I mean, the last half of the decade, he hasn't done like anything. Um, <laughs> right, right. <so, laughs> That's but still, his,
0: his lasting impact, even throughout the decade, was still felt. Even yeah, I mean, declining. impact
1: is just so tough because do, right, you, right. Make, yeah.
0: do you measure, you know, because
1: AED didn't even start playing until 2012. So a guy like Tyson Chandler has a couple years on him, including that, that championship win. Um, you know, the same goes for Dwight Howard, who to start the decade was the best big man in the NBA. Um, and even the rest of the decade was at least, you know, a somewhat decent and relevant role player. Um, you know, he just has more to his resume than Anthony Davis. Um, but yeah, I'll say, I'll say DJ, we spent a fair amount of time on that question in terms of impact. I would say DJ, uh, that doesn't mean he's a better player than Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is a much, much better player than DeAndre Jordan was, right, right. um, or is, uh, but in terms of impact, I'd, I'd give it to DJ. Um, next question is from at FG Davis 181. Uh, one Yeah, 181. Um, if you had to bet your life on a tip off, who would you bet on? Fascinating question. <laughs> DJ, is up,
0: D, DJ is up there. DJ right?
1: is absolutely up there. I forget. There was a stat. There was a couple years where he won like yeah. 90-something percent of tips, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, prime DJ is absolutely up there. Prime Tyson Chandler is also absolutely up there. Right. Uh, Tall
0: tall and hops. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically all it is.
1: Yeah. Honestly, give me prime DJ. I might honestly roll with that.
0: I think I go with prime DJ. Obviously we're biased, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think Chandler is a really good one. I'm sure
1: there's stats about this and it's, there's probably honestly some really surprising ones. Like I think March and Gortat was randomly really good at winning tips. Um I remember that I think when he joined the Clippers last year there were some weird stats about that and how he was like really just good at getting tips. Um now I'll say DJ, but that that's a tough question. And honestly, I, I kinda want to do more research into that because it's kind of interesting. Um yeah. next question, which I think did, we'll did, have. Did
0: the the Warriors did the Warriors have when Bogut retired, who was was Draymond doing tips for the for the Warriors? No, I think they always had their regular center due tips. Is this their regular center? I kind of wonder, like, how good Kevin Durant would be at like tips. Probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah, probably pretty good.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think they had their other. They always had their center due tips. I think.
0: Sure, that makes sense. Um,
1: next question. This is a really good one from at uh, bin Thrifty, um, another buddy of mine on Twitter. Uh, if the Lob City Clippers pick any season you prefer played this season's Clippers, how would a best of seven series go between them?
0: I mean, I think, well, one, what's the best Lob City team, which is a nice debate in its own right. Um, I'd, I'd probably be, go 14. 14, was that the, was that the Col- Collison year? Yes. I agree with that, yeah. It was, honestly, it was probably, hmm, it's between 12, 14, and
1: 15 for me. Um 12 had the best depth.
0: That's that's Vinny's. That's Vinny's last year. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That team Um, was stacked. That was the first year of Lob City where they had the most depth. Um, but that was the weakest iteration of the star trio because Chris Paul was still kind of getting his feet wet and was recovering from that knee injury. Um. Blake and DJ weren't quite prime. Blake and DJ, I mean, DJ certainly wasn't. Um, Blake was not uh, quite at that level yet either. Um, I'd probably go 14. That's That's really tough. Prime DJ against this Clippers team would do a lot. Prime Blake against this team would be a lot. On the other hand, like, who was that team starting small forward? That was Matt Barnes, right? I mean, that was Matt Barnes... I couldn't even tell you who backed him up. And was that the Danny Granger, like, Hito Turkoglu year? Yep, that was a Granger year. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would murder that team.
0: I mean, Paul George pretty much retired Danny Granger anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, That would be a fascinating
1: series. I mean, (sighs) both teams have huge advantages um, over one another. I'd say probably this current Clippers team would win. Yeah, I it would, would take probably the same. Be a six or seven game series.
0: I would take the same. We can we can put Paul George and Kawhi on Paul. It would really bother him. Even Pry and Chris Paul had some had some rough endings of games against Kawhi Leonard. You know, I, I always thought it was super underrated that JJ Reddick got loose at the end of game at the beginning of the beginning to midway of the fourth quarter in Game Seven, and then Pop put Kawhi back on Reddick and Green. Uh, and Chris Paul to end that game mm-hmm. because that that's how Paul, I mean I would have been really fascinated to think if Pop just said Kawhi, you guard Chris how Chris would have been considering he was already so hobbled and just and just that that iteration of Kawhi Leonard was such a revelation defensively Pop like used him as a Swiss army knife on everybody that series and I would have been interested, interested to see how Kawhi would have guarded Chris to end that game but he did not, and I'm, I'm grateful.
1: Yeah, um, that was such a great series. Oh, the NBA gosh, also game. did – NBA on Twitter also did a top 20 clutch shots of the decade, and Chris Paul's shot against the Spurs was not on there, which is – what? Oh, my yeah,
0: God. Yeah,
1: that's an outrageous, outrageous crime. I don't even understand if they completely collapsed the next round. I mean, it's one of the greatest shots of the decade. It was a series winner in one of the best-played series of – could go i could do an entire podcast about that but uh, um i don't this question is really interesting to me i mean if you could also pick which lob city team would be the best to defend this series uh this clippers team it might actually be the later clippers teams when they had Luka Mute. Right. um just because he's the single best lob city wing to put on either pg or Kawhi. um it, I don't know if any of the Lob City teams beat this Clippers team just because I think the wing mismatch is so outrageous. Um, But it would honestly be close. I mean, it depends. A lot of it honestly probably comes down to how much do you really believe in the Lob City team just choking? Um,
0: I think they they choke. (laughs) I think they choke. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think Kawhi Kawhi shows up and – and Chris Paul doesn't.
1: See, <laughs> Chris I'm, Paul, I'm never it's not, it's not
0: that it's not that Chris Paul doesn't show up. It's just it's just easier for Kawhi. It's, he's just he's bigger and and stronger than the, he's so hard to defend. And Chris and Chris, as much as I, I love him and he's great in the half court, but he can be predictable. And I think I think I think I would trust Kawhi with the game on the line more than Chris. And I don't trust Blake Griffin and with the game, especially that era of Blake.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably the the deal breaker is probably Blake. I'd say, um, Poor he Blake. has the biggest matchup advantage. Would he take care of it? Like there were series, you know, that Spurs series, he was incredible. Um, he had some amazing playoff performances. Could he do it against a team this good for seven games? I don't know. Um, and I also think PG or Kawhi could at least do a credible job on him. Um, and Jermichael yeah. Green is actually the exact type of player who always gave Blake grit fits. Um, like Anthony Tolliver always frustrated <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, guys. <laughs> like is oh my a, a better Anthony Tolliver. Uh, Anthony um, Tolliver, seriously. Yeah, I don't think it comes down to CP at all. I actually just – I think CP would torch this team um, – like he'd get Pat Beverly angry, and Pat would foul and get in foul trouble. Yeah,
0: but then you put Kawhi on him.
1: Uh this I still like. You know, this year's version of Kawhi. I don't know. He's still a really good defender. Yeah, but, but Paul's,
0: Paul's not fast. I think I feel like if if you had somebody who had who had burst, then I'd be like, oh, Kawhi. One, Kawhi's so smart and just funneling that kind of player to the big. But Kawhi. Paul's not, not like a, like a fast player. I think Kawhi could keep up with him pretty decently. Even this year's Kawhi. I don't know. I, it would be fascinating. Let's yeah. watch the series. <laughs>
1: yeah. It needs to happen sometime, yeah. somehow. Yeah, let's um, do it. But yeah.
0: Next question.
1: Aussie clip fan at fan clip. Do you see Tyron Luce staying as assistant coach? Uh, kind of open-ended. I don't know like for how long, like the rest of the season for a year. I uh, I mean, I think certainly he'll finish the year as the assistant coach. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't know if any other coaches will get fired this year after Fizdale. Um, I don't think there are any, I mean, I think Lloyd Pierce has kind of been rumored to be on the hot seat, but I can't really imagine them going after Ty Lu. Definitely not the kind of coach I think a rebuilding team would really go for, um, I don't even know, like Boylan, like the Bulls should fire him, but they won't. Um, like Walton in Sacramento. I, so yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by the question. I think for this year, sure. Um, I think even next year, like I don't know. Again, if he's going to have any NBA head coaching offers, it could have to some extent depend on what the Clippers do this year. I mean, I think if they get a title, that could entice him to either stay or leave, one way or another. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I'd say I can see him sticking around for a little bit.
0: Yeah, me too. I don't know what the market is for him. I felt like when we had Gentry, like I thought he was a goner, like real quick. Like I thought that, oh, I'm like oh, as soon as anybody has an opening, Gentry. Will, this is during the Lob City era when the Clippers' offense was just absurd. Not that it stopped being absurd after he left; it still was. But I thought I always thought that Gentry was going to leave. Um, but I don't feel that way about Ty. Like I don't, I don't know what the demand is for him. Um, I wonder. I wonder what the demand is for Sam Cassell too. Like I, I, I feel like Sam Cassell. I don't think that he'll be gone first because Ty. Uh, you know, you know, Terrell lose won the championship. He has pedigree. Um, players like him. He's a player. He's uh, probably a bit of a player's coach. I, I wonder what the demand is going to be for Cassell eventually too. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about it right now. It's not really, thought, not really crossed my mind too much.
1: Yeah. Um, next question from Giveaway. Whenever I go on Twitter and the question of need pops up, I keep seeing point guard, Sheikh Gilgis-Alexander, making it seem as if Clippers made a mistake in trading him. Would you rather keep SGA but miss out on Leonard or trade SGA but be weak at point guard? I mean, you, you have to get Kawhi Leonard. Um, we've been saying this all year and we're going to keep saying it even if this iteration of the Clippers does not win a championship even if they don't even make it to the NBA Finals or even Conference Finals even if it's a complete disaster and they don't do anything in the playoffs and Kawhi and PG both leave after two years the Clippers would still make that trade you know I, yeah, I mean, I just, I think we've been asked this before and I just don't think it's that close. I mean, I think, you know, you could argue PG against Shea over the next five years. Um, I think I'd still probably go PG, but I think that's an argument, but that's not what the question is. It's, you know, does Kawhi still come if they don't get PG? And I think the answer is at least up in the air. I actually think he might. Um, I think he was kind of always going to the Clippers is kind of my sneaking suspicion. Um, but uh, I, I don't think they made a mistake. I mean, they, they did a smart move and they got two superstars.
0: Yeah. It's not a mistake. And I love Shay. When we got Kawhi, I've still worn my Shea Gilchristal Alexander number two jersey more than my Kawhi jer- number two jersey just because I, I wear jerseys <laughs> when I'm just like around the house and my Kawhi jersey's white and I don't want to ruin it and my Shea jersey is dark blue. Um, but And I miss Shea. I keep up with him. But you have to make this move. This move really legitimizes legitimizes your franchise and what you're about versus being a scrappy, you know, underdog team with Shea. I, I, I am going to follow Shea until he retires he's my favorite non-clipper and i don't think it's even particularly close yeah uh, but it's not it's you don't you don't hesitate you have to do it unfortunately and i'm going to miss shay a lot i miss shay a lot i watch him a lot um, but you do that move 10 out of 10 times
1: yeah um, next question from at marky mark q would trading zubots and harkless for miles turner make the clippers better for the playoffs I'd say yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Turner is, is a pretty substantial upgrade over Zubats. And while I love Mo Harkless, um, you know, he is one of my favorite role players on this year's team. Um, his defense is excellent. I think his offense, he doesn't always contribute, but I think generally he, he does good stuff there in terms of playing within himself and, Hitting at least some open threes and cutting to the basket smartly, um, I think the Clippers would miss him. But I think the Turner upgrade is is too big to ignore. Um,
0: yeah, it, yeah, he's he's still Harkless is still like a twenty five minute per game player, and Turner Turner is not only somebody um, who would play a ton of minutes, but he's somebody that you know could theoretically just be the center of the future, even if the if uh, if Trez walked. Um, Yeah, I would, I would do that trade.
1: Yeah. Next question. Um, at the great qualito, do the Clippers rely too much isolation for two, one, three. Um, I I'm not sure what that means. Um, it's Paul George and Kawhi. Oh, okay. Um, Offense gets I th- I stagnant. Think, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that's what it is. Offense gets stagnant when, yeah, when those two aren't hitting. Mm-hmm. I prefer Doc stress more baldment, which makes this team more difficult to defend when scoring is more balanced. Uh, you know, I mean, I think sometimes they do ISO too much. I think generally it's been a good strategy. They're both good ISO players. The Clippers' offense has generally been quite good. I think it's ugly a lot, um, but I think it's, you know, it has worked. Um, I also think there's at least something to the fact that Doc does not seem to be running much complicated offense thus far this year, whether because he's keeping stuff in the bag for when he actually needs it in the playoffs or later in the season, or whether it's because the Clippers haven't had much time to practice or gain chemistry, I don't know. Uh, but it, there have been lots of people on Twitter just saying he really isn't using a lot of the plays that he utilized the past couple of years, which you know kind of carried the Clippers' rather limited rosters to you know, really good offensive marks. So I'm not too worried. Um, I think they probably have run a little bit too much isolation, but um and it does lead to turnovers and some stagnancy, but I'm not too, too worried about it for the long haul.
0: Yeah, the team needs to play more together. <laughs> we need to have our whole team together a little bit more because uh, I feel like I feel like guys just don't know each other's spots yet. And it's affecting the team. I wish we just got some more reps together. This health, a healthy Clipper team, Shamit included, because like Shamit would really help uh, a lot of misdirection on offense um, yeah. and just being that vortex that you know um, he's used to being. It, I just want the team to get more reps. Kawhi is harder to kind of think about doing a, a motion offense. I realize he used to be a spur, but the player he is now is very ISO dependent and very ball in my hand uh, heavy. So I feel like Kawhi, it's, it's, it's harder to talk about just moving the ball around a lot with Kawhi because it's the ball's in his hands all the time. And, but he's great with it. And ultimately, that's the kind of player you want down the stretch. I'm, I'm not too concerned, but I ultimately think the Clippers do know that they need movement in the offense. And they've said as much when they've been playing poorly. And Doc has said as much that the offense is not where he wants it to be. But the team just needs reps. So I think yeah. with time. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um next question from at Medlu. Can we finally start freaking out about this team's blown leads slash frustrating losses? No. I already said my piece on this. I am not. Um I'm, yeah, I'm good. I think there are some reasons to be worried, but I think they are the reasons that we've had to be worried throughout the year. I don't think they really relate to this team's blown leads of and again, none of them have been outrageous really. The Rockets is probably the closest one. Um but yeah, I mean, like, the Thunder loss doesn't really bother me. The Jazz loss doesn't really bother me. Yeah, I, I'm not really that worried.
0: Yeah, I'm fine.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, next question from at Lawler's Law. Um, is a trade needed? Um, I say stay the course. Uh, is a move needed? I don't think it's needed. I mean, I think there are moves that could probably help the team, but – I don't think one is absolutely needed right now. I still want to see this team healthy play more than one game together with a full roster and gain some chemistry.
0: Yeah, I don't think, I think this is the best team in the league healthy. Like I think that the rotation is the best in the league. So I want to see the team healthy. I haven't been saying it all pod. I just, I really want to see the team, team healthy. It's not even like this, is, this eight, nine man rotation is just absolutely elite. And I just want to see them play games. I, I, think like, I think like, there are home run trades that aren't going to happen. So mm-hmm. like if, we, if we can get another star, and I think there's a Twitter question asking about Drew Holiday, I, we're not getting Drew Holiday. I would trade everybody for Drew Holiday. Everybody not named Kawhi uh, or Paul George. Like I would trade all of them for him. But we're not going to get him. If we can get him and we could throw a huge package for him, I would do it. But we're not that we're not gonna get him. So, just being realistic. Yeah. Next
1: question um, from at Urban ninety seven Clippers desperately need another point guard combo guard that can get their own shot and create a bit. Uh, do you think it would be good to make a move from Malik Beasley? Uh, I don't uh, think they desperately need one. For one thing, I don't um, think Beasley's
0: two. the kind of player we want. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Rob.
1: Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I think one desperately need is an overstatement. I think that probably is the type of player they could use the most. Um, It's between that or another big man. Um, And I probably lean a little bit more to another shot creator off the bench. I don't think Malik Beasley is really that guy. Um, And I don't know why. I mean, I guess he's – I think he's going to be a free agent, so maybe the Nuggets don't want to pay him. I have no idea what that trade would look like.
0: You know so. who I want you know who I'd want that's also a holiday? I want Aaron Holiday, man. I love I mean, Aaron the posters Holiday. Aren't, aren't
1: trading <laughs> They're not either. trading
0: him, but that's who I want, who I think is much more realistic than Drew. Gosh, I love Aaron I watched some Pacer games uh this last week when I was home. I love me some Aaron Holiday, man. That guy that guy is legit. He's a, he's a really nice combo player. A lot in the a lot in the in the in the realm of Drew's not afraid of big shots. I, I love Misa Baron Aaron Holiday, man. He's going to be a nice player. He's not coming to the Clippers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. I, I don't think I don't think Beasley is happening. I think that could be something that happens with getting another a guard, but I don't know. Um, and I, I don't think it'll be Malik Beasley. Um, next question from at Francis, uh, well, from Francis Meek at Micker Kelly. Kind of a troll question, but who is more central to the team, Lou or Pat? I think opinions might really differ. So at least discussion follow. Very interesting question, actually. What do you think?
0: Hmm. And it's kind of tough. Um, you know, Lou has a. It's kind of that's a tough question. It's really tough, actually. Yeah, I, I, I mean, never I,
1: thought about it, but
0: I think at the end of the day, in the clutch, I think Lou's. Oh, it's tough. I think Lou's synergistic effect with Trez and considering we're closing, we're always gonna close lineups with him, it's tough because you could always switch pat there defensively.
1: Yeah.
0: But but you I think I think you would feel not having Lou offensively in a series and I think it would drag Paul and uh and Kawhi down a bit. So I think I, I tentatively want to go with Lou, even though he's in a tough stretch right now. But we've we we've already talked about how much the Clippers drop off without Pat. So it's it's a it's a tough question. What do you think? It's
1: extremely tough. I've really never thought about it in that context before. Um, yeah, I, I really I'm pretty stumped. Honestly, I think. <laughs> You could make really good cases for both. Yeah, you can. I think statistically the argument would be Pat. I think from like just what they bring to the court, I think it's both kind of up in the air. Um, the Clippers really use Pat's communication and his rebounding again, but Lou's playmaking and shot creation is also huge. Um, at the end of the day, I'd probably lean Lou but I think there's a really strong argument for Pat um,
0: I think I, I think Pat at this point just has a like a synergistic effect his defense standalone is overrated but it just feels like everybody gets up with him so it's it's tough because it's he really is unstatable to me I I know that the, I know yeah. that there's stats that really help him and we have a great win-loss record last year's win-loss record with him starting all that stuff is really great but man like his just aside from his great rebounding which is statable I feel like just his effect on the team's morale is just so hard to quantify and ah but it's it's really hard you know a lot of people especially early in the season were saying that you know Lou Williams is really what makes this a title contender almost just as much as Kawhi and Paul, and and it's hard. That's a good question.
1: It's a really good question.
0: The final question is that Drew question you you mentioned
1: from Andrew from 5 to 7. People in here keep saying that we are looking at Drew. Is that real? Uh, What would work? Rome, Trez, Harkless in our first. Do we still have the Tobias trade exception? I just don't think that package gets it done. Um, I think the the Pelicans are probably taking calls on holiday. And I think the Clippers might have some interest, but I mean, that's pretty close to their best package. I mean, if you swap out Rome for Landry, you know, that would probably be the Clippers' best, you know, realistic package. I still don't know if that's enough. I mean, the issue with Trez is that he's the most valuable piece in there but he's also about to free agent and get paid a lot. Now the Pelicans would be able to re-sign him, but he's also an atrocious fit with Zion Williamson, who is the Pelicans, you know, franchise player. Even if he's never played an NBA game, he's the Pelicans franchise player. They're resting the future of their franchise on him. And I can think of almost no worse fit than Zion and and Montrez Harrell. Um, I have no idea why the Pelicans would want to pay Matras Harrell what he's going to be worth to put him next to Zion. Harkless, um, I love him, but he's just a role player. Jerome Robinson is, you know, has very little value, and the Clippers first doesn't have that much either. So I don't think that gets it done. I think if you include Landry, you're probably in the ballpark. At that point, maybe you wonder if the Clippers do it because that's a huge loss. Um, to be taking, even for a player as good as Drew Holiday. Um, so, I mean, I think I probably would do that, the Rome deal. I don't know about the Shamit deal. Um, and the Tobias trade exception, honestly, I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, I would I would do the Shamit deal. Um, the Pelicans don't do this deal that's proposed now, because I agree with you. I, Trez is such a bad fit. They're the same, <laughs> except Zion is uh, – is has a higher ceiling, and you're going to want to feature him in that role spot and as a creator a bit. Uh, as he'll grow up, he'll probably be able to do more, you know, of the facilitator role. But right now, he's just a ferocious dunker and somebody who can't be stopped going towards the rim. So he's pretty much just like a better, more ferocious version of Trez. But who knows? Because he hasn't played in the NBA yet in the regular season. Um, I would do all the deals for Drew. I just don't think he's being traded. So I would like, I would probably trade too much for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't yeah. think I don't think the Pelicans are going to trade him. And again, like I think the Clippers' best trade asset is Montrezl Harrell, and he's not a good
0: fit. If, with if you can, if you can, Pelicans. if you can manage getting Drew Holiday for just one of our closing five, you do it. Like I don't even think twice about it. You know, that's not obviously Kawhi or Paul George. Uh, if you can get Drew. Yeah. For, one of them, like Pat or Lou or Trez, like standalone that I would do it. We would miss Trez and miss his size, obviously, but we would, we would have, you know, we could have Zubat and he brings different things. He's just a different side of the coin. And that would be, uh, an elite defensive team, uh, man with Drew holiday. I, I just, a holiday is so good. Uh, I would, I would trade if I could manage to get him while just trading one of our five, I wouldn't think twice about it, and I would trade whatever depth they need.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I I generally agree with that. I would do the Shamit deal eventually. Um, But, yeah, I I don't think that deal is going to happen. And, I mean, I think the Clippers in general, they have that difficulty because Trez, as good as he is, is about to get paid, and he's a tough fit with a lot of teams. Like, you know, the trade we were discussing on the Patreon pod, I think the Miles Turner trade – Montrez Harrell is not a good fit in Indiana no. with DeMontis Sabonis. You know, mm-hmm. if they decide they want Trez over both Sabonis and obviously Turner, if they trade him for uh, Trez, like, I mean, I guess, but I don't know why they do that. Um, and I, I, th- I just think Trez is kind of a tough trade piece. And after that, like, I mean, I think Landry Shamit probably still has quite a bit of value. Uh, But I don't think he's, like, a blue chipper. Um, You know, he's not good enough to be the centerpiece in, like, a Paul George deal, for example. Or I wouldn't think in a Drew Holiday deal either. Um, And after that, I mean, the assets get real limited real quick. The Clippers' first-round picks are not going to be that valuable because they're probably going to be really good for a while. And then they have no other real prospects on their team I mean, Zoo probably has a decent amount of value, but again, I mean, centers are not in high demand right now. Um, Jerome Robinson has very little value. Terrence Mann, Fionn Dukovic, like these guys have like no value. Um, so yeah, that's it for tour questions though. Um, wow. Just to, we did a lot. I think that was like 13. <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, just to briefly preview the week. Uh it's a busy upcoming week. The Clippers play four times. Tuesday at Sacramento. Thursday, home against Detroit. Saturday, home against Memphis. Sunday, so back to back against New York. That is a light schedule uh, nice. in terms of who they play. At Sacramento, you know, could have looked tough before the season. Sacramento Four and 0 Four and O. Yeah, I think I don't think that's even tough. It would be disappointing if they lost any of these games. Yeah, Absolutely win these games, man. You Got
0: to win this this Kings game.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's on the road, sure, and Sacramento's not terrible, but they've had several days off, and the Kings are just not that good, and they have nobody who should be able to guard either Kawhi or PG. Pistons bad, and the same exact thing, um, and that's at home. Then Grizzlies, nicks back to back. And I mean, I think you have to play Kawhi against Grizzlies because they're the, even though Grizzlies are not good, they're still a way better team than New York. Um, losing to New York, I don't care if Kawhi isn't playing. I don't care if Pat Beverly doesn't play in any of these. They need to win that game. Um, they need to win all of these. I'm going to say 4 0.
0: 4 0. That's going to really greatly improve their record without <laughs> Pat Beverly. Um, yeah. But I, th- I think so too. Um. Anything else, Rob? No, uh, that's it. Um,
1: yeah, I don't. I don't think I have anything else. Uh, we'll probably be back here next week after that next game.
0: Yeah, we'll be back here next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for donating. Uh, thanks for subscribing through Patreon. Um, as always, leave us a nice review on whatever you listen to, uh, uh, to us to and are on. <laughs> and as always, go Clippers.